Hello friends, Happy New Year. Welcome back to the kitchen table for another deep dive into the scriptures. We're going to be looking at the book of John over the next several weeks, particularly the I am sayings of Jesus and how relevant they are. Like you, I am deeply saddened, disturbed, um, uh, mourning the events that took place in our capital uh, this past week. Uh, deplorable from a Christian point of view. Deplorable that Christianity was uh, connected with some of these events and prayers and Christian nationalism in the way that it was displayed just has no place in the Christian gospel, something we certainly need to remember. You know, it's one of those things where you start to wrestle with this and, and you go back over history and you realize that uh, these are things that have happened in the past and there are things that certainly the church has had to make its way against and, and standing for Christ and, and the true gospel in the midst of. Uh, I was recently reminded of a quote by Lentatius who tutored Constantine's son. He appealed to the emperor with the following in his divine institutes. He said, truth can never be partnered with violence nor justice with cruelty. Religion must be defended not by killing but by dying not by violence, but by patience, not by sin, but by faith. That is the contrast between good and bad. These are old words, uh, fourth century, but how much we need these words today. We don't need more politics. We, we don't need uh, human wisdom. We, we need the gospel to come and to infiltrate our hearts. And, and that's what we're going to be dealing with over these next several weeks as we deal with the person of Jesus, what he came to do, who he is, uh, how it infiltrates and infects the lives of those who would believe on him. And this is what I, I have just become convinced um, afresh a that is my calling you know it's it's been a hard year for pastors world magazine recently had an article uh, about pastors that are struggling and you know you wonder what are you doing in the midst of all of the pandemic and the and the global uh, insurrections and the things that we've faced in our own country you know what is it that that we are doing and is it making any difference and all i can say is this i need to preach jesus uh, because he is the one who is the hope of the world and he is the only one who is the hope of the world and i hope as we begin this study of john that you are once again uh, freshly arrested uh, by the beauty, the glory, the power that is Jesus of Nazareth. I want to read for you from John chapter 20, uh, verses 30 and 31. This comes toward the end of the book of John, and we're going to be going back to the beginning uh, to look at how John 
lays out what he is going to tell us here in these verses is the purpose of his gospel. So listen, if you will, John 20, verses 30 to 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for its constant and enduring relevancy. We thank you for its timeliness. We thank you for the grace and the mercy with which it comes to us today. I pray in these next few minutes as we uh, walk with this man, John, that you would help us to understand the passions of his heart, uh, and even more importantly, help us to see more clearly the person of Jesus who captured his imagination. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. John was a fisherman, as many of you know. That probably doesn't mean that he was a lower class or uneducated person. He was probably a middle to upper class Jew who had some education. He clearly is quite familiar with uh, Jewish history, the Old Testament, all of these different things. We're going to note that as we go through. He attained a position of leadership in, in the early church and had some ability with that. He was um, in Ephesus for a number of years before he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Um, he lived in a number of different places, had sort of a cosmopolitan uh, engagement with the world, and we're going to see how that comes through in a number of different ways. And he writes this book that is uh, later than the other three Gospels, that is composed later than the other three Gospels, and is different. Notably, he sort of uh, has a self-awareness of that toward the end of um, through the end of the last chapter, John chapter 21, uh, he says, uh, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written about these things. We know his testimony is true. There were also many other things that Jesus did where every one of them written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Uh, John was aware of uh, making selections and telling a story, and he puts his book together in a very self-conscious way. There are nine I am sayings, which is what we are going to be focusing on the next several weeks. Uh, books 2 to 12 is often called the book of signs, and these oftentimes accompany the I am saying signs that point to who Jesus is as the Messiah. And that very much lines with his uh, purpose as he self uh, declares it here in chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. I want to walk through this just by asking three questions. The first question is this, who is the person of renown? The second question is, what is our proper response 
to this person of renown? And then finally, what is the promised reward? So the first question is, who, who is this person of renown? Who is the one that John is calling our attention to and asking us to focus on? And the answer, of course, is Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Again, his selection. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, John's primary purpose here is to emphasize that Jesus of Nazareth, this historical person who lived, is the Christ, the Son of of the living God. So there are three things that uh, that are highlighted here. First of all, that Jesus was a historical person. You know, this is something that the gospel writers are uh, very anxious to, to help us understand. Uh, Luke, if you remember in the beginning of his gospel, he says many others have written uh, eyewitness accounts uh, that can be verified. Luke himself said he set about, set, up, uh, set about to write an orderly account of the life of Jesus. John, in those verses from John chapter 21, verse 24, uh, talks about uh, the veracity of his testimony. They all focus on this historical person of Jesus. And I emphasize that for you in, in a couple of, for a couple of reasons. One is that we can have confidence in this story as it is given to us, that this was a real person who lived, who died, can be verified. All of these gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, were written within a generation, possibly two at the most, of the life of Jesus. And many of the people who are talked about in here were still alive. For instance, Lazarus may have still be alive. And you could go and you could verify with him whether he was raised from the dead or not. And, and this is the type of thing that if these were false accounts, they would have been early on discredited and disproved, but they were not. They lasted on. Jesus was this historical person who lived, who died, and who did the things that uh, were claimed of him, these things that were reported of him. Secondly, note that John emphasizes him as the Christ. Now, there are a couple of things that are interesting here. One is that John uses the Greek word Christ, Christos, for the uh, Old Testament Hebrew term Messiah. Uh, and, and part of the reason why John does this is that he is appealing to a broad audience. Not only is he appealing to Jews, but he is also appearing, appealing to Gentiles. And by using Christos, by using the Greek term, there is an embracing sort of with his language, the folks who were born outside of the covenant. But the biggest thing about this is that what John is saying is that he is the anointed one. He is the one who was promised from of old, going all the way back to Genesis 3, 15, as soon as 
Adam sinned. Adam and Eve fell into sin. There God pursued them saying, there is going to come one who's going to crush the head of the serpent, going to crush the head of Satan. We see this building throughout the Old Testament, prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah, David, uh, all of them are foreseeing this one who would come. And that's what the whole Old Testament is picturing for us. They're, they're not picturing an ascent of Judaism, but they are picturing the ascent of the Christ, the Messiah, uh, the, the one who is to reign over all heaven and earth. And what John wants us to see is that Jesus, the historical person, is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah who was promised from old. And then finally, that he is the Son of God. Now, there are a number of things that are interesting about this. You know, of course, one is it's a uh, uh, contradiction to Rome. You know, the Roman emperor was said to be the son of God, the son of the gods, and it would make this claim of supremacy. John, living in emphasis, a Roman Ephesus, a Roman colony, would be asserting that Jesus is above any national politics. Jesus is above anyone who would set themselves up as supreme king, queen, whatever it might be. Jesus flies above all of those. And he is also saying that he is divine. Uh, this is John's intent from the very beginning. The Word, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. There wasn't anything made that wasn't made through him. This is, in fact, the second person of the Trinity. And we're going to see in numerous ways as we walk through the book of John how Jesus himself and John emphasizing this makes claims to divinity that make us wrestle with the fact that this historical person uh, was not only the one prophesied of old, but that he is actually God come in the flesh. He is incarnate as we just celebrated in Christmas. He is tabernacled among us and we have beheld his glory. This is the person of renown that John uh, is saying, here is the one that you need to wrestle with. Here is the one uh, that you need to comprehend with your hearts and with your minds. So what is the proper response? And this is the second question that I want to look at. Uh, the proper response is that we believe. You see that uh, in verse 31. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Believing is one of the things that is um, sort of signature about John's writing. He uses the word believe in its various forms over a hundred times in his gospel. Uh, by comparison, the other three gospels uh, only use the, the word 50 times combined in, in the other three gospels. So, you know, this is his purpose. His purpose is, I want you to see Jesus because he is the supreme being in the universe. And I want you to believe uh, that he is the one who is going to rescue you. He is the one 
whom you can rest your hope on. He is the one uh, that is going to give you life. More on that in just a moment. But I want to stop and ask the question, what is what does this word to believe mean? Pistuo, pistis, faith. Uh, it has a number of different translations in the Greek, but it, it's right in that, that verbal range of believing, faith, all of those things. There are a couple of, thi- uh, couple of ways that I think we can approach it, begin to understand what John is saying. First of all, I already alluded to this, but there is an intellectual content here. John is making connections. He wants us to see them. He wants us to see the man Jesus. He wants us to see the Old Testament prophecies, Messiah, Christ, anointed one. He wants us to understand divine reality, son of God, and make these connections and see that this is indeed Jesus, who is the Christ, who is the Son of God, and, and, and to see it in, in, our, in our heads. There, there is a content to the faith that we are called to have. There's a content to our belief. The fact that uh, this can be checked, as I've already said, John is writing in a way uh, that was unusual. These Gospels are sort of unique in the way that they are written, sort of histor- history uh, given in the, in the story form, given so early so that it could be checked. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to 500 of you, many of whom are still alive today. So there is a, an objective content Uh, that John wants us to wrestle with, and he wants us to give our assent to, to believe that. But it's more than just an intellectual assent. Believing also has this idea of, of resting in reposing on. We've talked about this over and over again uh, throughout the years, this act of passivity where we uh, place ourselves a hundred percent on the person of Jesus, and we 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 relax, we uh, surrender ourselves to Him, His uh, initiative, His guiding, His purpose, His plan, all of those things. And this is what it means to believe. This is given to us in the context of Jesus and Thomas uh, after Jesus's resurrection. Thomas hadn't seen him in the same way that some of the other disciples had, and there was a doubt to Thomas. Uh, Jesus says to Thomas, when he does finally appear to him, he says, put your finger here, the holes in my hand, uh, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Trust, rest, Roll yourself completely on me. Let it affect the way that you do life. And that's indeed what happened with these disciples. They, they didn't just have an intellectual assent to the person of Jesus and what his mission was, what he came to do, but it, it became their way of life. It became their lens through which they viewed the world. It became the program by which their body operated 
so much so that they were, in many cases, martyred. Peter uh, crucified upside down. Thomas, it is reported, took the gospel to India where he was beheaded by the natives. John, this disciple who is writing here, stood firm for the faith, was eventually exiled to Patmos, which is a prison island, and there lived out his days where he, he died in exile. They rolled themselves on to Jesus, and they believed, they trusted in him, they rested in him. And this is what we are being invited into, not only the knowledge that Jesus is above all and that Jesus is supreme in the universe, but we're invited to find ourselves resting, reposing in him in the middle of all of our difficulties, in the middle of the illnesses, that get us out of our beds in the middle of our in the middle of the night in the middle of illnesses that threaten our very lives and extinction in the middle of the circumstances of our life that cause us to question why did we lose our job why is this relationship so difficult in the middle of these circumstances we're called to to go to Jesus to find ourselves there to listen to what he has to say to rest in him to repose in him to find his words being the impetus for our response in the middle of political upheaval to go back to the word to to judge all of the various um, all of the various uh, uh, the various factions of where we are in this uh, present political moment to judge them by the word resting on Jesus and finding our finding our hope there. Uh, one writer put it this way, said the church in the West is not fading because of liberals. It's not fading because of critical race theory. It's not fading because of white supremacy. It's not fading because of Trumpism. The church in the West is fading because it places little confidence. It doesn't believe, it's not resting in the person and the teaching of Jesus. This is our call in all things, is to find ourselves believing in Jesus moment by moment by moment. Sometimes I think that for Christians, if you ask them, do you believe in Jesus? Well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, how, what does that look like? Well, you know, when I was 12, I walked the aisle or, you know, back in my 20s, I made this commitment to identify myself as a Christian. But what John is saying to us is that moment by moment, day by day, we trust, we rest, we believe in Jesus. So who is this person of renown? It's Jesus. What's the proper response to him? It's believe. What is the promised reward? And we see it here that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, this is a concept that John has talked about earlier in the book, this idea of life. As we come here, chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, we see the culmination of what John has been saying. When he's talking about having life in his name, I, I think he means two different things. In John 3.16, very famous passage, talking to Nicodemus, he says, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only 
begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him, there's that word again, believe in him, not just cognitively, but throw themselves on him, rest in him. Whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The first way that God, John uses this term life is the opposite of perishing. It's the opposite of the wages of sin is death, but it's being delivered from that death into life. And, and this is the promise that, that John says. He says, as you recognize who Jesus is and you come to rest in him, you have the promise of life, eternal life, rescue from sin. Now, this is one of the things that, frankly, uh, our modern society doesn't really want to grapple with, doesn't want to grapple with the facts that we are sinners, that we are um, uh, contrary, we're rebellious against the Lord, and that in his holiness, we are deserving of condemnation. But this is the testimony of the scriptures. And the scriptures say that it is only as we turn to God in repentance, it's only as we turn to God in faith, grabbing a hold of the finished work of Jesus, this Messiah who came to die a sinner's death on the cross in order that he could pay the penalty for our sin. It's only then that we receive from him this life. And, and if you or if others ha have not done this, then they remain in their sin and, and their guilt remains and their condemnation uh, remains. It's only as we find ourselves in Christ that we know the absolute deliverance, life in his name. But there's a second way that John uses life, and this is so encouraging because right now, frankly, life is discouraging. I mean, between a pandemic, between the political and cultural upheavals in our society, between all the other circumstances that are going on in your life, separate from those things that speak to the reality of living in a fallen world, uh, where do we find our hope? Where do we find our encouragement? Where do we find the strength to go on? John says that by believing you may have life in his name. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it to the full. That, that was his purpose in coming, is that his disciples, those who would believe on his name, would have life both here and now as well as in the future, but here and now, and they might have it to the full. Why? Because we live it with an absolute knowledge that we are the beloved of God uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. One of the things that's so interesting about John is his own self-appellation. He, he calls himself in a number of different uh, places, in chapter 13, chapter 20, chapter 21, uh, he calls himself the beloved disciple. Uh, why does he do that? Is he doing that in order to uh, elevate himself among the other uh, disciples, that he was the beloved one, he had this place of honor? I don't think he was. 
I think that John was using this sort of self-appellation, calling himself the beloved disciple, because frankly, he was just blown away. He was blown away that Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, the one who came to die for the sin of the entire world, would love him. And so that became the most important thing to John so that he could stand in the midst of persecution, so that he could stand in the midst of imprisonment, so he could stand in the midst of the circumstances of life, so that he could stand knowing his identity was as the beloved disciple, the beloved of the Son, the beloved of the Father. And that's my question. Do you want to have life to the full? How much do you know that you're loved? How much do you know that you belong to Jesus? Because when we know that and when we rest on that, when we believe it, when it becomes the lens on which we see the universe, when it becomes the voice that we hear amidst the, the cacophony of this world, when it becomes the most important thing, everything else is going to be uh, put in perspective. That doesn't mean that the things that happen in the capital are not important. Of course they are important. And we as Christians have responsibility to speak for justice. We have the responsibility to stand for truth regardless of our political party. All of these things are true. But the most important thing that is true, the thing that is going to give us our strength, the thing that is going to give us our energy, the thing that is going to encourage us the most, is that we, like John, are beloved in the Father and the Son. One woman put it this way. She says, I need to hear that because I keep doubting. I keep doubting that I am beloved. I keep wondering, I keep questioning whether I'm doing enough, and I need to be released from that bondage into the knowledge that Jesus loves me, not only in spite of my sin, but in the midst of it. Brothers and sisters, do you know that? Do you believe that? Are you resting on that? That is where you, that is where I will find life in his name. I am so excited uh, to dive into the book of John, and I hope that this gives you just a taste of what is to come, uh, because we are gonna be looking at Jesus the beautiful one, the lovely one, the one who stands against uh, over and above all of the nations that will rage. And he is the one that has come that we might have life and that we might have it to the full. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for its power. We thank you for its clear focus. And Father, I pray for my friends here, those who have been walking with you for a long time and those who are still exploring whether you are the one that they can rest on. Lord, I pray that we would all be impressed by that. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open the ear canals of our heart, that this uh, sweet message would flow, this message of being beloved in the Son by the Father. Um, 
Father, we do pray for our world. We know that it is in desperate need of this gospel, and we ask that you would uh, that you would give us uh, the kind of focus that we need uh, to hold forth the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his truth and grace. We pray this uh, in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Brothers and sisters, uh, again, I hope you have a great day, uh, a great new year as we begin this march together through the book of John. I encourage you, uh, if you haven't already, to sign up for the devotionals that we are producing each and every week that go along with this sermon series. Uh, you can get them right into your inbox uh, and, and you can find that as a way to just continue with this word throughout the week, maybe go a little bit deeper, keep chewing on it, keep savoring it as, as you walk, find it as an aid to your resting in Jesus. Just look for information, your home worship guide, the bulletin on the website for places where you can sign up for those devotionals. Have a great and wonderful day. Goodbye.